All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 394 points, or 1.1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 104 points, or 2.3%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 407 points, or 2.8%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 5.8%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 16.6%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 32.9%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, well, looking at this past week, I think we've started to burn off a little bit of the overbought condition, I would say, across all the major indexes, particularly the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. Uh, and as, you know, I for our longtime listeners, people that caught us on last weekend's show, you know, that was one thing that we were warning all investors of how overbought the market was. Season, from a seasonality standpoint, August is historically one of the weakest months in any given market year. And we were so far above the 200-day moving average, we had all said on last week's show that we were ripe for some type of pullback, some profit-taking, and this is exactly what we've seen this past week. The earnings picture so far, I know we've been talking about that from week to week and how the companies have been reporting. And one of the things that continues to seem, that still seems to be a a common theme is companies reporting better than expected earnings with reasonable guidance aren't really getting much of a bump up in price of their stocks. Now, there are exceptions. You know, just I think it was on Friday, Amazon, Amazon. got a, got a nice bump uh, on their earnings results. But you, you take for the other side of the coin, Apple. Now, was there anything necessarily in their earnings report that was that bad? Sales, um, 
That was a big issue. Well, of sales. But, but, but in sell- particular product spaces, though, that's the right. thing is that is that the it's 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 completely divided up. I mean, they beat on the top and bottom line. But as they get into the earnings call, you start to look at all the different segments where Apple earns money. And that's what caused some of the selling on Friday. And so and so I think Apple was down like five percent on on Friday. Friday. To me, it seems that that uh, the and and and, my, and uh, let's talk about companies that that maybe had good earnings, but their outlooks weren't exactly what Wall Street was looking for. Some of these stocks are getting just destroyed. I mean, they're really getting taken out to the woodshed uh, if there's just a little bit of not so great news not on, on the outlook. And so you have to ask yourself for a moment, it, in that kind of market environment where reasonable earnings beat, reasonable outlook for the future doesn't result in the stock price moving up that much. But on the other side, the flip coin, if you disappoint in any way, you know, you're getting 10% or more knocked off the stock price. To me, that feels like a toppy market in the short term. It feels like a toppy market in the short term. Yes, Kyle. I think what it tells me personally is that we don't have as many long-term investors in some of these names, and it's more hot money that's in these names. Because like you were saying, some of these companies that reported this past week that beat on the top and bottom line when it came to their earnings and revenue and their sales numbers on the inside from the past quarter were just absolutely fantastic. But they did the prudent thing and dialed back their forward projections on future earnings and sales, and then they just get completely bludgeoned because of it, which tells me that for the long-term investor, when you really start parsing and getting into all the numbers, the the companies are solid as the rock of Gibraltar. But for the hot money, the quick money, for the traders and for the algorithms, one little negative forward guidance conversation or sentence in the press conference they're just absolutely bludgeoned. So well, that tells me that there's more hot money, not as much long-term money. And we've talked about this going more than a year on the Money Wise program of how light volume has been, which just continues to tell me from a technical standpoint, the longer-term investor, they're not fully engaged in the stock market. And it goes back to the acronym Terra. There are reasonable alternatives. Well, and I know we're coming up against a break, but I do want to talk about uh, Fitch downgrading U.S. debt because that did cause a, a pretty significant pullback in one day. And Kyle texted me in the morning going, oh, here we go. This could be a correction due to downgrade. Well, that's kind of like a, now, a nothing, nothing burger. But that was, in my opinion, a reason for some of these companies to sell off. And, you know, Amazon actually went up with their earnings. So it was good, it was good to see a company doing okay get rewarded. Well, I think I th- I think a rating a credit rating agency that's number three in line from S and P and Moody's. I mean, yes, the market did have somewhat of a response. Was it muted compared to the downgrade of U.S. government debt from the S by S and P back in what 2011? 
mm-hmm. where we saw almost a 20% snap correction. So I, I think you, you said it best, Joe. It turned out to be a nothing burger, and there wasn't very much commitment and follow-through the day after they announced it. I mean, yes, the market was down slightly. It wasn't a huge down day, and it wasn't a 20% corrective snap you know, snap move down like it was back in 2011 when S&P downgraded the U.S. government debt. But I would like to ask Fitch, where where have you guys been? I mean, did someone go on vacation during the regional banking crisis, go on vacation, come back and say, oh, yeah, I thought I, I, I forgot to do this downgrade, and I've been asleep at the wheel for the last couple of months, so let's go ahead and do it now. But let's pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings on Wall Street from last week. And right before we went to break, Joe, you'd mentioned the downgrade of U.S. government debt by Fitch. Now, Fitch, the, the big credit rating agencies, Standard & Poor's, Moody's, and then Fitch. So I, I don't want to say that the bottom of the barrel, but based on the markets, really – Lack of response of the downgrade, as you put it in the last segment, kind of turned out to be a nothing burger. And I would say the down movement in this market for this past week was more a result of earnings, less about the downgrade of U.S. government debt by Fitch. And the fact that we were 12.5% above the 200-day moving average in the S&P 500 from a technical basis, and we were extremely overbought and you know, when you get overbought, there's times where you have to take a little bit of a pause that refreshes. Yeah, Joe. Well, anyways. Go Jeff ahead, or Joe. Joe? I was going to say ahead, that Joe. one day pullback, there weren't any major earnings disappointments. So that, that one day pullback when the NASDAQ was off 2.5%, that was precipitated because of that downgrade. And I would, I would, when, and, and Buffett comes out there and says, there's nothing to see here and just kind of disregarded it. That's well, I think Jamie Dimon said it was ridiculous, but I want to, mm-hmm. let me make a couple of comments about that. Fitch coming out and cutting the credit rating of U.S. government debt from AAA to AA plus is like a brokerage house on Wall Street coming out and initiating coverage of NVIDIA with a buy rating. <laughs> I'll let y'all. I'll let y'all stew on that okay. for a moment. So, like Joe said earlier, a nothing burger. No, no, no. Let me finish. I want. I want to give you a quote. Nothing to see here. Nothing to Here's, see. Here. Remember, this was twelve years ago, ladies and gentlemen, when. Starin and Poor's cut U.S. debt credit rating from AAA to AA+. And what were the reasons, some of the reasons they were saying 12 years ago for cutting the rating on U.S. government debt? Reason number one, political polarization. Mm. Reason, reason number two, insufficient steps 
to write the nation's fiscal outlook. Now, are we as a country any less politically polarized 12 years after the S&P cut the debt rating of U.S. government debt? Or are we in a better or worse fiscal position, meaning – and when they're talking about fiscal position, I think they're talking about the level – of government debt. Now, I know neither one of you, neither do I, have in front of me the amount of outstanding government debt today, but I guarantee you it was substan- it's substantially higher than it was 12 years ago. Yeah, Joe. Along, the, along the, with more polarization. The, 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 yeah, quote of the, day, the quote of the day Friday is the government is spending money like a drunken sailor. And I'm like, what has the government not spent know, money? Exactly. It's like, like drop the mic. It's not a, a blinding flash of the obvious. The government yeah. likes to spend your money, ladies and gentlemen. And so, well, and that's and that's kind of like the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. I mean, that's just politicians in this country. You know, we we have to hold them accountable in the voting booth, but unfortunately, we're still not doing that. Um, you know, I don't want to get too much on the political behind the political uh, lectern. So there was, spike, over to Jeff. there was a spike in yields. There was. I think that might have been but triggering was, some of the algos, particularly on the ten-year Treasury, Jeff. But then it backed off again by the end of the week. Uh, there's 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 talk about the long end of the yield curve. We're talking about longer maturity debt instruments, whether they're governments, whether they're corporates, whatever the debt instrument is, are we beginning to see a normalization of the yield curve, meaning longer maturity yields need to come up because we still have longer maturity yields that are lower than shorter maturity yields. And speaking of shorter maturity yields, uh, money market funds – uh, at you know, brokerage houses now are approaching, you know, five and a quarter percent interest rate. That is a serious competitor to stocks, and I think which goes part back of that to my original being point. reflected in the fact that we've had you know, we, I mean, have we seen the highs of the year? I don't think so. We we may have. We may have seen the highs of the year. I am going to go on Kyle's statistics he pulled. Uh, yeah, talking to I think I think history. I think history and the prob. I think history and the probability of the history and how much history there is to say that no, we're not at the top. But again, we're talking about the market being very what? very overbought. No, no, no. I'm saying for the year. You were saying, are we at the highs for the year? And I'm here to say, no, I don't believe so because we are in the month of August. We were 12.5%. The, the S&P 500 was 12.5% above its 200-day moving average from a price standpoint. We've seen about a 3.2% corrective move to the downside, so it's burned off a little bit of that overbought situation. And we know that we've got the Fed probably, okay, maybe they have one more interest rate increase in September left. Maybe. Maybe. You know, they're not going to be talking anything dovish come the end of August when they're at Jackson Hole for the Jackson Hole Symposium. So we know they're going to keep tough talking. 
And the Fed's going to continue to do that. And I don't think we're going to see any interest rates cuts well until we get into 2024. It might be to the summer or after before we see that because inflation is moving in the right direction. It's just moving slower. Now, when we talk about the employment report, you know, now, granted, if we had a very hot employment report on Friday, I think we could have seen even more selling. We could have seen even more selling across the major indexes because that might have been sending a signal that the Fed is going to continue to raise rates even past September. But I will say this about the employment report, and we can get into more of the the data when we come back from the bottom of the hour break. But I think what was interesting is that the number of jobs created was less than expected, but the average hourly earnings was above expectations. So it was a really a mixed bag. It was a really mixed which, which I think one of the things the market responded to on Friday is that the job number creation gives the sign, hey, the Fed is closer to being done raising rates. But then when you start peeling back the onion and looking at the average hourly wages and the 4.4% year-over-year increase, then you start saying, well, maybe September not only is an interest rate increase on the table for September, but maybe possibly in October. And I know months ago I was – was talking on the program that I've been hearing some analysts and some pundits saying that we could see a federal funds rate at 6% and kind of y'all kind of got a little bit big eyed when I said that we could be heading there. That could wind up being the terminal rate. And I don't, and I think that's going to be, that's going to be serious competition even for the magnificent seven. Well, I did, you know, speaking of the Magnificent Seven, I just, you know, we've been talking on this program that if you truly want to know what the the broader market is doing, you have to pay attention to the equally weighted S&P 500 index, which as of Thursday's close is up 8.74%. When you throw in the Magnificent Seven, it's 18.37% as of Thursday's close. But as you mentioned, Jeff, at the beginning of the program, after Friday's sell down, the S&P without dividends is up 16.6. Well, I heard some, some information this past week that if you strip out those seven, the magnificent seven stocks out of the S&P 500, its price earnings multiple is 16, which is below the five and 10 year PE average which means that the, from a valuation standpoint, the S&P 500 is still quite reasonably priced. Here's another statistic I heard. If you strip out the top 10 tech names, the top 10 tech performers of the NASDAQ, you want to know what the NASDAQ would be up year to date, taking out those top 10 performers? Less than 10%. So that's what we've been saying to all of our listeners, how misleading this market has been this so, year so because of a hand, literally a handful of stocks. It, it's it's a top heavy run. That's what it is. And top heavy but, in the top but, ten but for it, the Nasdaq. It, it gives some way room, top heavy. Gives some room for some catch up on on the rest of the S and P and small caps. If you look at the P ratio on the small caps, it's still well above historical averages. So there are opportunities still for that to run on this market. Well, I mean, so. Joe, you strip out those 10 tech names out of the NASDAQ. You're, they're saying that 10 stocks are driving north of 20% of total return in the NASDAQ this year. You know, of course, Jeff's response would be, well, then that goes to show that the market isn't as healthy as everyone thinks. And I think this also leads us to the conversation we had last week about all investors should not be getting leaning too far out over their skis, 
either and <laughs> just loading explode. up the boat. And then the reason <laughs> well, he's going to have to wait until we come back for the bottom of the hour break. But the other reason why, from a moderate allocation standpoint, at Davidson Capital Management, we are still 50-50, 50% stock, 50% fixed income, and a position traded money market high yield account. So let's take a commercial break. Jeff's loading up, so he's going to come back to, to go off, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to commercial break, I was talking about just some of the conversations we've had on past shows, and particularly last weekend's show where we talked about, again, how overbought the broader markets were, that we were ripe for a corrective move, and not for investors to not get too far out over their skis because this market and its performance year-to-date, whether you're looking at the NASDAQ or the S&P 500, has been a little bit misleading. And we've been talking about this for really all year, really going back you know, all year, is that it's a handful of stocks that are over-exaggerating the overall returns of the market. While we say, Look at the equally weighted S&P 500 index. And I guess some of the things I was saying, you know, spurred a, a, some points that Jeff wanted to make. So, Jeff, I wanted to, to turn it over to you. Or do I got to turn it over to Joe first to make your well, comment? Our viewers can't see this, but either Jeff had a really valid. Viewers? You mean our listeners? I mean our listeners. Every, they, well, I'm viewing Jeff, so I'm a viewer. Oh, that's so, true. That is true. Either he was itching to make a point because he, or he had to go to the bathroom really badly because he's hopping up and down in the seat and ready to go. <laughs> ready to go, Jeff. So, no, I didn't need to, to use the restroom. Um, if we go to 6% Fed funds rates, um, I, don't, I don't know how you're going to be able to justify very well, you know, a 20 PE. Or six, you know, sixteen PE. That's going to be difficult to do, in my opinion, because we go to six percent Fed funds rates. When was the last time we had six percent Fed funds rates? I mean, you got to you got to go back to the very beginning of this century. You got to go back to late two thousand was the last time we had Fed Fed funds rates that high. And I'm not even sure that we're going to get that high. But we're all forgetting about something. What's next week? CPI? CPI. Now, what happens if the next CPI print shows flat, doesn't show it declining, or shows an increase greater than expected? How much are gasoline prices up this year? 
I mean, they yeah. they've they they were up. They came up, but I actually last time I went to fill up, they've gotten back down below four dollars. So I know that OPEC is continuing to restrict. I know. Okay. I know. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. You, whoa. You're using what double ox premium high octane? No, 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 it's fine. It's ninety three. It's It's a San Antonio market. No, I I I spent a bunch of money filling up my truck. With gas, and it's like oh, it's been a while since I've had to fill it up with what you know, had to pay this much to fill it up. Um, but you know, and the reason I say maybe we've seen the highest for the year. If the year ended right now, it'd be a great year. It would be if we just floundered around and really just didn't go any higher. It would still be an excellent year. It'd be probably top ten this century. So that that's why I'm saying maybe we maybe we have seen the highs for the year. Well, well, you have to. So much of this has been brought for, you know, to me. So much of what's been happening in stocks and the the reasoning for the moves that we've seen make because we all know that earnings are down year over year. Does anybody disagree with that? No, and in fact, I got the statistics right here. Tell us what earnings are down year over year. Well, I will say this. Let's just go into the earnings since you brought it okay. up. So 84% of the S&P 500 companies have reported their results. 79% of the S&P 500 companies that have reported have reported a positive earnings per share surprise. And 65% of those companies have reported a positive revenue surprise. Now, the blended earnings decline for the S&P 500 through Friday is a negative 5.2%. And if 5.2% is the actual decline for the quarter, it will mark the largest earnings decline reported by the index since the third quarter of 2020, which was negative 57 so we have now, you know, we're looking at three straight quarters, fourth quarter of 22, first quarter of 23, second quarter of 23, having negative earnings growth. But the projections for third quarter 2023 is a positive two-tenths and, uh, as far as earnings growth. And then they are looking for, I just lost my place on my page. They're looking. They're looking for you know a five, six, seven percent earnings um, growth in the fourth quarter of 2023. So what I think you're trying to say, Jeff, because the market is a forward-looking mechanism, it's always looking forward many months out. So what your point you might be making is that where the market has gotten to before this past week's corrective move. It's kind of hitting the top based on the forward guidance of what anticipated earnings growth is going to be for the third and fourth quarter of 2023. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, how much have these expectations for the we were in this earnings price trough, trough right now? We're in this trough, and we're going to be getting out of this trough. That's the estimates, right? Well, mm-hmm. how much of that has already been priced in? And that's the real that that's the real question we all ask as investors. Now, if you look at some of the r- returns of the magnificent seven year to date, I, I'm not you know I've said this before. I'm not sure that you can justify some of the moves that have been made in these stocks with their anticipated earnings growth over the next year or two years or three years. I mean, I keep bringing up Nvidia. We own it. 
it's what more than what's more than tripled this year. Uh, How many years does it take the average stock to triple? Um, depends on its sector. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it depends, it depends on. We're talking an industrial. It depends on the momentum. It depends on on momentum. It it depends on investor interest. And investor interest and momentum can push valuations to excessive levels, extreme excessive levels in some individual stock cases, or or at excessive levels in terms of the stock market itself. And I had said to you earlier this week, how many people that are making investment decisions in portfolios today we're actually making decisions in portfolios the last time interest rates were this high. How many? No, no, I told you less. I said less than half. I would say less than half. I, I would say that's very fair. I would say it's probably less than that. And we're we part of the 50% that was. Right. The last if, time if, rates were. If, the, if Fed funds go to six, and no one's talking about that right now, if Fed funds goes goes to six, uh, I don't see five thousand on the S and P this year. No, which is which is what some people are saying. I, and I'm not in that camp. In fact, the S and P five hundred right now, the S and P five hundred right now without dividends was my beginning year uh, prediction. So we're slightly past halfway through the year, just starting August. So we're eight months, you know, seven months and a week in let's say, for the year, and have already hit my number, and I was the most bullish out of all of us. So the market's performance has definitely surprised me, but you strip out those top seven, the Magnificent Seven, equally weighted and, S&P and 500, quick, again, is is less up less than 9%. One quick thing. So you should be rooting, Kyle, for the market not to go up anymore yeah. this year, and you'll be you'll yes. the prize. For no, but, <laughs> because I always say that when I make a prediction and more bullish prediction, I hope that I'm wrong to it, it's going to be higher. You know that I'm actually underestimating what the market is going to perform. These, these corporate CEOs, you know, we gotta we gotta bring down expectations so we can beat that beat that. That's right. Okay. Yeah, Joe. Just, just one thing to back up and let all of our listeners know what the Magnificent Seven is, because we I think we went over the last show. It's Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon. NVIDIA, Tesla, and Meta. Google? Yeah. Google Google was in there. Yeah, I said Alphabet. I'm just thinking. But those are the the magnificent seven that we're talking about. So, Well, one thing I just want to go real quick. I found the statistics. So for the third quarter of 2023, uh, earnings, projected earnings growth is going to be two-tenths of a percent. And for the fourth quarter, of 2023 projected earnings growth is going to be 7.6%. So that's quite a bump going to the fourth quarter. And I'm sure that these analysts are anticipating the Fed being done with their interest rate increasing cycle being done. But uh, we've said on this program for all of our listeners, expect interest rates to be higher for longer because the only thing that is going to get the Fed to be cutting rates in a quick amount of time is we have to have inflation literally fall off of a cliff in very quick pace, or yeah, not happening, not happening, or we have a dramatic slowdown in the economy. Which, but I, I, but with GDP, I, I just with GDP actually the first reading of the second quarter GDP being at two point four percent above expectations of two percent. I mean GDP is moving in the right direction. And we still have this full employment 
picture because unemployment rate came out on Friday at 3.5%, so it actually ticked lower. And when you look at the U6, what's considered the true unemployment number, it's at 6.7. That's, you know, we're talking about historical lows from an employment picture, and there's still millions of unfilled jobs that are out there. So as we've said on this program all year, the employment picture, I think, is going to be the backstop to the economy moving forward and help the Fed possibly get a soft landing put in place. Let's take another commercial break. you listen to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, Jeff, I think you were saying this during commercial break. Was it next week we got CPI that's going to be coming up or is it the week after? CPI on Thursday and PPI on Friday. So we're going to have some inflation numbers. I think both of them are, the estimates are both up two-tenths over the previous month. If they come in hotter, there's going to be this, oh, wait a second. Is the Fed's work really done on on, uh, inflation? And then once sentiment starts to shift, you and I, all three of us know what could potentially happen in the market. Because we've talked about the, the thinness. We've talked about, in terms of volume, we've talked about the overall, when it comes to participation in all stocks, they've been focused on a handful. What happens if... You've put a lot, you've, you've got a lot of money come into these stocks. If you're in an organization where you've got, you know, ten percent allocation, I hear these guys on CNBC talking about, you know, I, I got four percent in Apple. Well, that's four times what we have in Apple. How many organizations out there? How many mutual funds? How many large cap? Have, remember, remember us talking last year. Was it last year or the year? But was it? It's the beginning no, of last year. Was, we're no, talking it about twenty-one. It was twenty twenty-one. I was concerned about the con because I remember I got that uh, we got that notification from one of our mutual funds that said, "Hey, the SEC is not going to allow us to claim to be diversified anymore, and we just need to let y'all know that that we're no longer going to be a diversified mutual fund." And I came to you guys and said, "Now wait a second. We got a mutual fund telling their shareholders that we're not going to be diversified anymore. And the reason we're not going to be diversified is because of the run-up they had in these big cap tech names, many of those same that are now part of the Magnificent Seven. And what happened to them in 2022? Kaboom. A lot they were magnificent. They were, they were anything but magnificent. Maleficent. Maleficent. <laughs> if I'm saying that word right. Yeah. In 20, they were anything but magnificent. And so now they're magnificent again. 
if the sentiment starts to change, these organizations that are, again, concentrated in those names once again, like they were in 2021, could they, could they take some money off the table out of these uh, particular investments, especially since now, except in 2021, if they sold those if they sold those stocks, what were money market funds back then? They weren't diddly spot. Nada. They weren't Nada. diddly spot, right? Because mm-hmm. the Fed didn't start raising rates until March. Until March. They do. So if they sold those names, but you know, Tina was in full effect. There was no place for that cat. The cat wasn't going to earn any money. Well, now there is. And it's got even more lucrative since in the last since the last week we spoke. The rates on money market funds are up. Now the market's mm-hmm. is the market down a little bit? Yeah. Market's down a little bit. Are we substantially off the highs? No. Have we had have we even had a ten percent correction this year to speak of? Well, even no, know we've even um, no, not even close. I, I will say one quick thing, Jeff. You're making me think. Which at the end of the day, you know, after a long week, do a portfolio review. What if you have Apple stock and you have some of these magnificent seven? Sprinkle in an index fund or sprinkle in a large cap growth fund. How much of Apple do you have? How much Nvidia do you have? You got to check and make sure you know what you own. Well, so. and see, and Joe, that that brings up a good point because you know maybe a lot of our listeners own mutual, no load mutual funds, or loaded mutual funds, or exchange traded funds, which are like mutual funds, but they trade like a stock in the open market as price fluctuates throughout the day. And portfolio reviews can actually show what level of concentration your top ten stock holdings. We always do a stock intersection. We also look at just the overall weighting of one individual name in your portfolio. So some of y'all might be owning mutual funds and ETFs thinking, oh, well, I'm, I'm way diversified. You know, I've, I've got all these different ETFs and mutual funds. Come to find out after a portfolio review, you're owning 5, 6, 7, 8% in Apple, you know, 7, 8% in NVIDIA. And so if these stocks see some more profit taking in them as we get through the month of August, which, as I said earlier in the program, is historically one of the weakest months for the stock market in any given year, then this high level of concentration your portfolio could have is going to see a much broader and bigger downside. So the answer my pre my previous point about if we had a ten percent correction this year, the answer is no, we didn't because the March pardon me the the early February to mid March uh, downturn was like nine, little over nine percent. So we hadn't even had a ten percent correction this year. It is not unusual to have at least one in a given year. And Fitch cutting credit rating of government debt, you get a higher than expected CPI number next week. But you you've got the earnings. What what more earning news do we have? The earnings news is going to be pretty far, few and far between now. There's only one. I think there's Nvidia. only one magnificent seven left. That's Nvidia, and I don't think that's till the end of end of August. Late late August, late August, 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 something like that. And uh, August twenty third, August twenty third. Jackson Hole, I think, is the same week as Nvidia. If if I'm not mis- you know, if my memory's right. So what's the catalyst? What's the catalyst for stocks to turn around and go higher? You know, go out, go go to go to the highest for the year. I don't see it right now. 
I see the I see the momentum shifting the other way, and whether we get a ten percent correction uh, or not, uh, we may get at least uh, I'd say somewhere between five and eight. Ten would be probably worst case. Yeah, Kyle. I will say the one playing devil's advocate is we normally both go back and forth throughout the program the last 18 years you've done the show i would say one of the catalysts would be for the investors that are very much lightly allocated to stocks seeing any type of a pullback as a buying opportunity so if we do have a five six seven percent pullback i could see that very much reversing in very quick succession because it's being used as a buying opportunity for maybe some of the longer term assets to be coming in more of the owners of stocks that missed a lot of this run-up this year could be using it as a buying opportunity that could be the catalyst or i could stay in my money market fund and make almost five and a quarter percent yeah five and a quarter is definitely less than the 16.6 without dividends the s&p is up this year so we'll see we'll see but of course we'll be back in the money wise studio next week to go through everything happening in the week coming up on Wall Street. So with that, we're coming up to the top of our break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can like the show and leave us a comment. So as we're diving into this second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, shifting gears into investor education, is like we like to dedicate the second hours of every weekend's program going in and really pulling the curtain back and trying to educate investors uh, all across this state and anyone who's listening to our podcast and our terrestrial radio show and was thinking about some topics from an educational standpoint and, and wanted, I came up with a title and I alluded to it just a little bit, but I wanted to talk about in this second hour of the things that Wall Street won't tell you. Now to give a little bit of history of Davidson Capital Management, why our father started our firm back in 1989, is he wanted to pull the curtain back on Wall Street. Pull the curtain back, bring integrity, honesty, ethics, transparency into the investor-advisor relationship. And in all of our years of business and all the hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of portfolios portfolio reviews we have done, 
we have come to just notice a very ongoing, consistent theme when we do these portfolio reviews. And we're doing portfolio reviews from prospective clients that have accounts at Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Ameriprise, Fidelity, Schwab, Edward Jones. I mean, you name any major uh, brokerage firm in this country that markets on television, print, ad, computer, what have you, follows you all across the internet, we have reviewed these types of portfolios. And over the last 30 plus years of being in business, we just see these very consistent themes recurring again and again and again in prospective clients' portfolios. And we talk about it from time to time during the first hour of the Weekend's Money Wise program throughout the years. But I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this topic and really pulling the curtain back and talking about the things of what these big Wall Street firms are not going to be telling you as an investor. And as we've said from day one on the Money Wise program is that you always have to dig deeper. You, you cannot take things for face value. You have to have your questions on hand when you're out there interviewing a prospective advisor that you're wanting to work with or if you're already working with an advisor, questions that you need to go back and ask and get these answers. And if you're not receiving proper answers or answers that are just not making you feel very at ease, then maybe it's time for you to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis to get that second opinion. And that's the purpose for us to be doing the portfolio reviews and analysis that we do and have been doing for the past 30 plus years is to give that second opinion to investors. So one of the first trends and themes that we're constantly seeing from all these major brokerage firms when we do portfolio reviews is portfolios that are just chalked full with a multitude of exchange traded funds, and mutual funds. And when I say chalk full, I can take an example of prospective client's portfolio who is working with Fidelity. And in one account, not only had over 30 exchange-traded funds, but had over 25 mutual funds. So we're talking over 50 individual positions in either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. And the first question that comes to my, my mind is, why? Why do you need so many? Why is this shotgun blast approach where tiny bits of this prospective client's assets were allocated to such a vast, large number of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds? So I think you have to remember about exchange-traded funds, but you know, by and large, the exchange-traded funds that we invest in and we see that in these other organizations invest in, uh, they are in in and of themselves diversified investments. They have hundreds of different securities inside, say, an individual exchange-traded fund. Same holds true for mutual funds. They can contain hundreds of different investments. So when you have a portfolio that has 50, 60 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, and each one of those exchange-traded funds and mutual funds holds 100-plus securities, well, you can imagine, well, that's, it just, if you, each one of them held 100 securities and you had 50 different positions, that would be 5,000 different securities. Now, 
they don't actually own 5,000 different securities in, in all of these uh, exchange-traded funds and mutual funds combined. What they end up, what ends up happening is, is there is so much overlap when you look at the portfolio in totality. They, they might have 10 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds that invest in the exact same asset class which mean me like large cap growth stocks or small cap growth stocks or mid cap growth stocks or value stocks, so on and so on and so on. And so at the end, at the end, our opinion is when we see a portfolio like this to, to us, what it appears is it appears to be marketing more than anything, because it's not really serving the client. It's, it, it's, it's over, diversification in names, but it's really over, this is so totally over diversified. It makes no sense to, to design a portfolio this way, except for one reason. And that is marketing. And in well, the marketing that also is appearance right. to appear as if they're doing more right. in your portfolio than what they actually are. Because at Davidson capital management, if you're in our asset builder program where we own nothing but exchange traded funds and no load mutual funds, we don't have 25 different exchange traded funds or mutual funds. You know, there's been times where we've had maybe up to nine, maybe 10, sometimes seven. What we do as portfolio managers, as in-house money managers, is we vet each and every one of the positions, each one of the exchange traded funds and mutual funds to determine if they're, in our opinion, from our analysis and research, the best of breed for the respective asset class that we want represented in the portfolio at this particular time. And so I want to hold right there, and we'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your money wise guys you can reach us in our san antonio or corpus christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162 if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's Money Wise program, we're continuing with investor education and talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, talking about portfolios that we have reviewed that just have a multitude of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, a, a situation where you get over-diversified in a portfolio and why these major brokerage firms across the country do this. And in our opinion, it is for marketing. It is to appear as if they're doing more work in a client's portfolio than they actually are. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the process that we go through inside of our asset builder program, where we own nothing but uh, no load mutual funds and exchange traded funds. And these are for clients that have less than a million dollars of investable assets in one singular account. Now, when we go through our process, we're looking for best of breed. So when we're looking for a large cap growth manager, we're sending the large cap growth actively managed no load mutual fund managers through our gauntlet. 
They're going through our proprietary process of research and analysis, utilizing our 70-plus years of combined experience here at Davidson Capital Management to find what we consider the best-of-breed large cap growth manager for that particular asset class, period. Not two of them, not three, not six, but the best. Now, once we make a selection of that particular no-load mutual fund for that particular asset class, they will then be continuously vetted to ensure that they're adhering to why we have selected them to be inside of the portfolio for our clients. So we're going to be looking at consistency of style. We're going to be looking at the portfolio and the information we can ascertain. What are their top 10 holdings? How concentrated or unconcentrated are they? What holdings do they own? Do we continue to agree with their investment management philosophy? So once we buy this position, it's not just buy and forget it. We're going to be constantly sending it through our gauntlet. And if for some reason it falls out of our criteria through our proprietary system, guess what? They get sold. They get sold. So it's not just buy and hold. We're buying and it's constant homework. Joe, I know you wanted to say something. Well, sure. And I think going through this process and working quite a bit in the 401k space, we have our process already set up to where we know if one of these particular investments are going to be on the watch list. And from time to time, the three of us will put our heads together. But when you have a team approach, you really dive down deep into the, into the particular mutual funds. And one thing you didn't mention, Kyle, or I don't think, is manager tenure. You know, if you have a new manager That's in a right. mutual fund, what does that mean to that particular portfolio? We might watch it temporarily, and if it's somebody that's coming on board that's been with the team a while, and they're going to take over the day-to-day portfolio management, you know, we might give them a pass. But but also part of the number side of it, and we were talking about this uh, a couple times in the past, is portfolio management is just not numbers. There's also It's also art to a certain extent. And some funds may do better in a down market than others. Um, and I wanted to bring that up, too. I mean, portfolio management is a combination of multiple things. And that also bodes true with mutual funds and, to a lesser extent, ETFs. But, but, and again, that's where research comes into play. When we go through our research process, we're looking at upside capture. We're looking at downside capture. We're looking at all of these technical and fundamental indicators to determine whether or not we feel that this is going to be the best investment option. But what we have seen from the other big Wall Street firms is, well, let's just shotgun blast and put, let's put six, let's put 10 large cap growth managers. One or two of them have got to hit. One or two of them got to do a good year. Well, what about the rest of your money in the other five or six that are, are not doing well? What, what happens to the overall performance of your portfolio? You know, the other thing you have to determine and figure out, what are you actually paying for the multitude of all of these different investment options? If you do have 20, 30, 40 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds in your portfolio, and we're just seeing this to be occurring more and more as the years have gone on. And I've had conversations with prospective clients that are with very large, very well-known, very reputable money managers where they have been told to their face that human beings do not manage money anymore at these firms. And they allow computers or algorithms to be making the investment decisions that, as you said, Joe, they're trying to equate money management down to numbers, down to technicals. But I hate to tell you, just Joe, just like you said, and this was something that our father taught Jeff and I many, many moons ago, is that managing money is a science, but it's also an art. 
And here's the thing that you have to remember. Algorithms are computer programs written by human beings. What if those human beings got their scenarios crossed? Their math was off. Their assumptions were wrong. That, that algorithm is worthless. It's absolutely worthless because human beings have to write the actual algorithm. And so what we have seen in these super mega money management firms is they have become victims of their own success, of their own asset gathering to where they physically can't have human beings managing money anymore for their clients. And so then you well, as well, a they, client, they could, but they the could, problem is the problem is it's profits. That's right. It's profits. It's, it's profits. So the question you have to ask, if you are a client of one of these type firms, what, what am I paying my management fee for if a computer is doing it? So I'm getting charged all these management fees for the internal expenses for the exchange traded funds and the mutual funds. Then I pay a portfolio management fee on top of that. But you're telling me that you're having a computer make the decisions because you're just such a giant super tanker of a money manager you know the question i would be asking is what happens if there's a dramatic event in the market how fast can you move how fast can you make changes in my portfolio and they're not going to be able to answer that question and give you a definitive answer which leads us to really the most important part of i think really the most important part of all this is that the person that you're talking to the vast majority of the time at the big mega wall street firms the list that you gave in that first segment kyle and others is the person that you're talking to is not actually the decision maker the decisions are made someplace else either by a computer or a human in a computer and you never you have no relationship with the decision maker the only relationship you have is with the person that's charged with maintaining the relationship and so in, in the vast majority of cases, and I have never seen in the history of us doing portfolio reviews, I've never seen any of those Wall Street firms beat us in terms of management fees, overall cost to the client. So if, if, we're, if, our, if our value proposition at Davidson Capital Management is you get to actually speak with the people that are actually making every single investment decision and doing it for less than the big wall street houses in much more focused portfolios. You know, our, fo- our portfolios are laser focused. The shotgun approach, the shotgun approach is like putting five quarterbacks on the field at the same time or putting five pitchers on the mound at the same time. <laughs> you don't do that. What do you do? You put your best players on the field. You got a bench, but you also have the best players on the field at the right time. You don't you don't buy ten different large cap stock ETFs and mutual funds and put them in the portfolio. That makes no sense whatsoever. Pick the best one. That's what you put in the portfolio. Why can't the big Wall Street houses, with all their people and all their computers and all their all the things they have at their disposal, research. Why? Why do they have to build a portfolio where they where, where they shotgun approach everything? Yes, Kyle. I can answer part of that question because of proprietary relationships they have with the outside mutual fund managers and exchange traded fund providers, and the revenue sharing agreements that they have. 
why charge your client a one and a quarter percent management fee where you can charge them one and a quarter percent management fee, then invest their money in a mutual fund that charges another one percent, and then that manager of that one percent mutual fund kicks back to you another quarter of one percent. And now you're charging your client, you're making even more money off of one client because of the kickbacks and the proprietary relationships that they have. So then as if you are a client of these types of firms, you have to ask yourself, are the players on my field the best players? Or are they the players that pay the biggest kickbacks to the firm that, that I work with? So then the firm that you're working with, you have to think, how objective are they in their investment making or portfolio design process when they're getting paid X number of dollars from this outside mutual fund manager or this outside exchange traded fund manager, are they truly objective? And I can answer that question right now. The answer is absolutely not. They are not objective when they're getting revenues shared with them. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, going into investor education, and uh, really this second hour, we're talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, we're talking about the lack of objectivity that we have seen, in our opinion, over the last 30-plus years of being in business with these mega-large Wall Street firms from the Merrill Lynch's to the Edward Joneses of the world to the Ameriprises, proprietary relationships, meaning revenue sharing that they are receiving from outside mutual fund managers, from outside exchange-traded fund managers, that clouds the objectivity of the firm that an investor is working with to ensure that these particular investments find their way in your portfolio. But the question you have to ask yourself, were these the best choices? Was this the best of breed? Yeah, Joe. Well, sure. Kyle, dovetailing on what you're talking about, and just the other week I was reviewing a, looking at a particular firm, and one thing we do is, yes, we research our investments. We also research our competitors. We also look at their ADV part two, other disclosures, but if they are using proprietary mutual funds, a lot of times the the point is, what is Wall Street not telling you? Well, that firm, generally speaking, has to tell you, and it actually said there in black and white, there's a conflict of interest because this particular firm is using their own proprietary funds and it's disclosed in black and white. So you can actually pull back the curtain on Wall Street, but you have to know how to do your own research on this. And, and most individual investors won't. You can go to broker check. You can type in the name of the firm that you're working with, that you're thinking about working with, and you can go into their ADV Part 2 through the SEC website, 
to be able to research what potential conflicts of interest, what other proprietary relationships they have. I know of one particular firm that has commercials all the time. They actually disclose how much in revenue they're receiving on an annual basis from these outside firms. And so it, it's no surprise that when we do portfolio reviews of prospective clients that are working with this particular firm, why we typically see the top three mutual fund families that provide the biggest amount of revenue to this firm as the only three mutual fund families that show up in a portfolio. And, and, and again, this is, this is what should really be raising question marks above anyone's head that is working with these large firms. And then you also have to ask yourself, why am I working with these larger firms? Does a larger firm that have the marble columns, as dad calls it, the fancy, you know, the fancy offices, the big name brands, the huge marketing campaigns and all the commercials and what have you, does that provide a higher level of comfort to you? as an investor, a higher level of security. I mean, that is what they are relying on. This is why they do it. They're relying on their marketing and their fancy offices and all the sharp-dressed folks that work for them to, to, to create this sense of security when what they're doing in the portfolios from our reviews and analysis isn't anything to write home to mom about. It's the we're big, and so we must be good if we're this big. Yeah. It just means they're bigger, great marketers. Bigger, bigger doesn't mean better. Bigger just means they, they spend more money on marketing. That's right. They're bigger asset gatherers. And, you know, we've utilized the Money Wise program to educate for the last 16-plus years, to educate investors, to warn them. You know, we'll, we, we will make 10 investment decisions. Six to seven of them will work. Three to four of them won't. We're not saying that we're the end-all, be-all money manager, but the one thing that the, the multiple things that we are, it's transparent, completely honest and ethical. And as far as from a fee standpoint, there is not another firm on the street that can touch us when it comes to the management fees that we've charged. We have 100%. no conflicts of interest. And we don't have any revenue sharing. No one pays us to own any of their investments. All the investments are vetted and put into and, – and, and client money is invested in it based on the merits of that particular investment, not based on any sort of revenue-sharing agreement that, that, we, that we don't have with anybody and never have had and never will have. Yes, Joe. Yeah, well, Joe. I, one of the things we're talking about, it, really about proprietary relationships with mutual funds – in mutual funds, ETFs, but the one thing that we always emphasize is that as asset allocation. And when you have a down market or you have a correction or during the pandemic uh, or during the financial crisis, your first line of defense is what? And we all know what this is. It's asset allocation, right? Individual uh, equity select. Active asset allocation. Correct. So my point being is if you are interviewing an advisor at a particular firm, and there are some that are out there that do their own research, Ask them, do they create their own asset allocation models? Are they going with what the firm recommends? That's a very, that's a question you need to ask. And if that's the case, that's great. Ask them, okay, when was the last time you made a decision on a particular mutual fund or ETF or separately managed account that's, that, that's in that allocation? So well, getting it, I, that's a big part of, of the investment management process and active versus passive management is 
who's doing the allocations. Well, and, and, and you brought up a point because, yes, we're talking about all the major firms out there, and there are still some diamonds in the rough. There are still some traditional stockbrokers on the financial sales side of the business that deal, that still do their own security selections, that do manage their own portfolios. There, there are. They're few and far between, but there are. But your line of questioning, Joe, is absolutely dead on. Where are you finding your research? Because if they are selecting their own securities, whether it's mutual funds, exchange traded funds, or individual stocks, where are you getting your research? That is a great question to ask. If they're just getting the research from the firm that employs them, is that truly objective? I mean, I could bore our listeners with the multi-layered process our proprietary process that we go through in vetting every single security that we select at Davidson Capital Management, but I don't want, especially if people are listening to the show driving, I don't want to put them to sleep and cause any accidents. But when we go and do our research, we're getting our information from a multitude of different sources, not, you know, not, not to also exclude our own proprietary screening process of 44 points of screens that we have put into place. Screen one, 22 points. Screen two, an additional 22 points to vet our list of individual stocks when, when we're owning individual stocks. And then we cross-reference that from a multitude of other research firms, not just one, not just our custodian who's Schwab, we look at a multitude of different ones. And so that is another important question to ask. If you do work with an advisor that is actively selecting their own securities, but then to follow up if they are doing that selection is when was the last time you made changes in your portfolio? What is your performance track record? How old and long is that performance track record? Well, one thing when we're doing research and we use databases to input when we're doing a portfolio review, it's kind of interesting because there are some prospective clients that a year and a half ago, I've, I've put everything into the software, put all their positions, all our asset allocations. And then maybe a year later or a year and a half later, they haven't come on board as a client yet. And I'll say, hey, can you give me that, that statement from that portfolio they reviewed a year and a half ago? If the allocations are the same and the securities are the same and they're charging you 1% or more, you really got to look yourself in the mirror and go, what am I doing? You know, I, and I've, I've seen it multiple times. That is not active management. That is a portfolio that is put together on hope and prayer. And and from a, a, a scientific versus, you know, science versus art perspective, you look set at it. Yeah, set it and forget yeah. it is not a long-term successful investment strategy. And w- we certainly saw this in the financial crisis of 08, 09. Uh, where we met with prospective clients <clears throat> that had uh, monies invested with the big Wall Street firms. And when, when a client tells you, well, I lost 40%, 50% in, in 2008, well, I know two things that happened. One, there was far too much money invested in stocks in that particular portfolio. And two, no one was managing anything to have lost that much money. And that's what the vast, I think the vast majority of the, uh, of the wall street firms uh, count on the statistic that the market's going to be up 80% of the time. That's just what the statistics 
say? Seventy four percent, but the, close. Okay. Seventy four percent since nineteen twenty six. And so they they play the probabilities. We just stay invested all the time. Yeah. We 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 very rarely sell. We very rarely reallocate. We just we're we're always in it for the long. We're long term investors, quote unquote. And so the the other twenty six percent of the time, when the markets are down, every once in a while you'll have a thirty percent down year. It's very rare, but they're out there. Most of the time, it's down five, down ten whatever. But the point of the matter is, is there's no active management occurring. And really the key to long-term successful investment management is not necessarily beating the S&P when you have years like when you have back-to-back or back years of up markets. It's keeping your hole shallow when the markets are down. That's where a real active management comes into play. Yeah, because remember, you lose 50% of the value of your portfolio. You have to make 100% just to get back to where you started. And I want to pick up on that point on the other side of the break. So let's do that now. Let's take our next break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can comment, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program and wrapping up our investor education on what Wall Street won't tell you, and right before we went to break, we were talking about what, what, what we truly believe what builds and maintains long-term wealth. It's not capturing every percentage gain in up years. It's keeping your hole shallower in down years, playing a great defense. That is the best long-term strategy for offense. So we were talking about all the major brokerage firms of every name brand that you could think of that has commercials and print ads, what have you, going through situations like the financial crisis or even going back to the dot-com bubble bursting. As Jeff said in the last segment, when the stock market 74% of the time since 1926 has had positive returns – when we have those abnormal years where we're down, have a 30% down year, like during the financial crisis, or have dramatic, long, protracted pullbacks in the market, brokerage firms are just going to say, stay the course. Just stay the course. You don't want to make any adjustments. You don't want to make any changes. Well, we would recommend, yeah, you don't go 100% to cash. We would agree with every Wall Street firm in existence. You never go 100% cash because that is a failed strategy. But playing a great defense with a proper allocation, active asset management, very stringent proprietary security screening process, and keeping that hole shallower allows you to recover that much faster. Because let's say you go down 50% and you need 100% to get back to where you started. And to get to that 100%, it's going to take the next two to three years to get there. Well, what if your portfolio was only down 15% and then you were able to get back in at a lower price with the cash that was raised because there was active management 
and you played active defense, your portfolio would be far ahead of a portfolio that just was static during this downturn and didn't play defense. And another reason why Wall Street doesn't pay defense is because of revenues. Absolutely right. Because if they if, if they were to reduce securities in, a, in an investor's portfolio and go to cash for a period of time, those that that those securities that were sold would not be generating any revenue sharing for the firm because they would no longer be in the portfolio. And we saw that a lot with one particular firm, which I'm not going to name that has a lot of revenue sharing agreements. Uh, But that's, that's probably the biggest reason why wall street doesn't sell when, when, when times get, you know, capitalism, the nature of capitalism is there's going to be booms and then there's going to be, periods where things are very quiet, flat, if you will, and then sometimes they're busts. That's just the nature of capitalism. And so in the bust times, if Wall Street, who would already be suffering because it was bust times, would go in and start selling in mass securities out of their clients' portfolios, remember it's buy low, sell high. They did that then they would also be cutting their own throats and reducing their revenues even more. And so they don't. And that's why we time and time again, we hear in the, when we, the tough times, there will be tough times again. There always are. We'll see these same folks in our offices telling us their story. Well, you know, we're doing so well for so long. And that's the other thing, you know, people get complacent. Investors get complacent when the markets do well for extended period of times, they don't care about revenue sharing. They don't care about way too many. They they don't care about management fees. They don't care about the, the, the excess number of securities in their portfolio. They don't care about how they vote, have 10 large cap mutual funds in their portfolio and 20 small cap mutual funds in their portfolio, because every month I'm getting a statement and it's going higher and I'm making more money. And I got a big smile on my face and you get complacent. But then when it turns, it's like you come visit you know, someone like Davidson Capital and we look at the portfolio. So, well, here's the reason why the portfolio failed so miserably in the down markets for this, 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 and this. Oh, and by the way, you're paying this for all of this, this failed strategy. And people are like, wow, I wish I'd have known this. I wish I'd have heard you earlier. I wish I'd have heard if we this had segment. A dollar, if we had a dollar for every time we have heard that over the last 30-plus years, and we hear it all the time. And so our recommendation would be to save yourself the grief, not getting complacent, as we have always said, and take this right from Joe, stealing your thunder, Joe, knowing what you own. Well, if if you don't truly know what you own, you don't truly know what your asset allocation model looks like, you don't know how much you're paying, you don't know if it's being actively managed, this is why we offer portfolio reviews and analysis to prospective clients to get a second opinion from a team of portfolio managers that have over 70 years of combined experience that truly manage money in-house that do our own research, that select our own securities. And oh, by the way, we haven't said it this whole segment, we eat our own cooking, meaning we personally own the same securities our clients own. So you can 
bet that they've been vetted to an inch of their life because if they're going to be going into my portfolio or Jeff's or to Joe's, they're darn good enough to be in our clients' portfolios and they're going to be properly managed. So save yourself the grief before that downturn or on the other side of a downturn when you've lost 20, 25, 30% of your nest egg's net worth because you felt that, well, I was with so-and-so firm. They're so well-known. They've been around for 70 or 80 years. They have hundreds of billions of dollars under management. They're supposed to be good because I hear about them all the time. What, why did they not perform for me? And this is what happens. They're great asset gatherers. They're great victims, marketers. Great marketers. They're the victims of their own success at asset gathering to where they can no longer truly active we manage money hands-on and leave it up to a computer algorithm that was also written by a human being that could have a lot of different failed strategies in that algorithm. And, wind, and who winds up becoming the victim of all of this? You, the investor. This is why we do portfolio reviews, to peel, to pull that curtain back and to tell you and to teach you and let you know about the things that Wall Street won't tell you. With that, we're coming up to the end of this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. You can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcasts. And with that, for Jeff... Our good man, Joe, this is Kyle Davidson wanting to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.